This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal, who has been buying up Trump casino stock every chance he can. Is that right, Bill? Yeah, no, I seem to have become somewhat inadvertently a great booster of Trump, even though I think I wrote an editorial two weeks ago that Trump would be at the bottom of my list of uh, people I'd be voting for for the Republican presidential nomination. But I'm, I guess I've gotten so annoyed and tired of all the anti-Trump whining and complaining and sniping by various aspects of the media establishment and the Republican establishment that I, I as I say, I'm not really pro-Trump, but I'm anti-anti-Trump. <laughs> like the old days of I'm not anti-communist, I'm anti-anti-communist. Yeah, right. I mean, I just think the attacks on him, instead of saying, okay, the guy's getting some support, why are people interested? What has he said that might have some truth to it? How can we incorporate that into a Republican message? There's such disdain for the for him and such a – how dare he just speak his mind? How dare he not hi hire political consultants to tell him what to say? I mean he was on CNN the other night and before this segment I was on, they had a couple of CNN reporters, commentators, uh, you know, just kind of expressing this you – know, I, I can't believe he's saying these things. Doesn't he realize it's counterproductive? Meanwhile, he's moved to the lead in the Republican primary polls. But uh, people assume that that is both, uh, you know, that, that he's hitting his ceiling in this multi-candidate race, that he's, you know, kind of uh, jumping out to lead when the other candidates aren't really on the field in the truest sense. Is this reflective of the Republican Party, of where America is, or does Donald Trump have some kind of electoral magic? I mean, I don't know. I've assumed myself that it was a, will be a short-term thing, a short-lived thing, and that, you know, at the end of the day, he hits the ceiling, and people express their disgust by telling a poster there for Trump, and then when we get into the fall, they start choosing among the serious candidates who presumably are the pretty much the ones who've had elective office, uh, and also don't say irresponsible things and slightly wacky things, and sometimes as Trump does. Having said that, you know, I, I spent 1992 in the Bush. White House, the first Bush administration, George H.W. Bush, uh, being told by people, oh, well, Perot, it's an amazing phenomenon, the charts, he's on CNN every two nights at the time, that was the only cable news network, you remember, uh, and he's getting all this publicity, and people have a vague impression of him as a successful businessman, but it'll, it'll come back to earth, it will end up with a normal two-way race, and he ended up with 19 million votes, and could have gotten more, actually, if he hadn't shown how flaky he was in the general election, so I, I'm a little... Um, Worried isn't really even the right word. I just think people are underestimating probably Trump's appeal against a bunch of politicians who for now at least appear cautious and colorless. It's amazing. If you look at that latest poll, which Trump is leading with 15 percent, I think it's an economist YouGov poll. Um, as I recall, Ben Carson's around 9 percent. Um, uh, Mike Huckabee has a pretty decent vote. 
a couple of other anti-establishment candidates. I mean, there is a pretty big, you know, you're talking 35, 40 percent of the Republican primary electorate expressing discontent with, you know, the sort of standard governor, senator, respectable type candidates. And I think that's something Republicans need to tap into and incorporate, not disdain. And Donald Trump is, in my opinion, entirely a creation of the GOP establishment because they won't talk about things that the base cares about, like border security, immigration, the impact impact on jobs, concerns about the impact of trade agreements, even if you do decide that the right thing to do. They won't talk about it. They won't fight for it. And so they've seeded the field. So I keep asking myself, Bill, who's going to be the more established Republican who sees that and walks over, you know, clubs, you know, <laughs> Trump over the, over the hairpiece, seizes his issues and says, look, you can have me without the crazy. I totally agree. And the, the other way in which the establishment has seeded the field to him is he said something stupid. I mean, he overstated in a vulgar kind of way. Uh, his his criticism of uh, of the illegal immigrants coming to the country and the fact that some of them are criminals. Fine. It was perfectly appropriate for others to criticize him for what he had said. Meanwhile, there's been this mob psychology boycott of him, uh, big businesses saying they're not going to carry his products, they're not going to work with him and all this. Um, they didn't do anything when he was, you know, pushing birther conspiracy theories right. about President Obama's birth certificate. That was fine. But now some organized groups in the left got on their case and all these corporations are just caving. And people hate, and I think they're right to hate, and I think conservatives especially fear and hate this kind of mob psychology. This is what every serious student of democracy from Tocqueville to John Stuart Mill to a million others uh, have war warned about that this can happen. You lose the kind of, we lose our liberties and we just get swept up in one mob wave after another. In this case, kind of an artificial mob wave, I would say, generated by left-wing elites. And who else has stood up? Ted Cruz actually has said this is inappropriate. The others, they're too busy saying, oh, I, I couldn't deplore more what Donald Trump has said. To also say that Donald Trump is, you know, an American who seems to be the law-abiding American who's entitled to pursue his business interests. He's entitled to say stupid things. He's entitled to run for president. And if he's so off the mark, these people should just go out and beat him fair and square in the primary. The one other thing I would say is everyone assumes Trump's peaking or can't go on long. The first debate is in what? Almost a month. Uh, are we confident that Donald Trump isn't going to win that debate? He's pretty experienced at television, you know? He's pretty good at coming up with 60-second, 90-second type sound bites. And I, I think the Trump phenomenon could go on a little longer than, than people expect. Well, the, the opportunity that's missed for the candidate to step up, I thought it was interesting that Governor Rick Perry released a, kind of an open letter video to Donald Trump. I thought it hit exactly the right tone. Donald Trump is out of line with the way he describes illegal immigrants and Mexicans. But I've thought, you know, here's we do have a problem with immigration and here's what I've done about it. But there's another... Uh, no, let me just say, I, I think you're right about that. And I think actually... Perry, who's also disdained by the uh, chattering classes here in Washington and the consultant elites, he could never make it after his 2012 stumbles, has actually been running a pretty good campaign, pretty substantive campaign, but also a kind of populist and uh, responsibly populist campaign, I'd say, on some key issues. I wonder if he could get a little bounce. If he can make it into the debate and voters tune in and Trump's a little out of control and Perry looks like the, the, the sort of rational version, you might say, uh, who's making some of the, some similar points to Trump, but is actually a guy who's governed a big state for 14 years quite successfully. Uh, I think that could help, Perry. Yeah, if you were just arriving on planet Earth and knew nothing about the past and you saw Rick Perry thus far, you'd say, this guy's one of the guys to watch. Um, but the disturbing thing is there's a very good chance he won't make it on the stage because of this screwed-up Fox poll, I mean, uh, campaign system. And I, I don't want to get sidetracked because I want to get back to another cost. There are some people, and I happen to be one of them, 
who think that every day that Donald Trump is on the front page and you know, lead on television, it's another day of kicking the Republican brand. That for a typical not, you know, uh, the voters who show up once every four years, listening to Donald Trump scream about Mexican rapists and his wild-eyed, wild-haired, you know, uh, over-the-top delivery, it just says to them bad things about the GOP brand. I think he's hurt. He's separate from what Republicans ought to do about him. As long as he's the lead story, is he hurting the GOP sim- simply as an organization by being out there? Yeah, maybe a little, but I don't think quite as much as as maybe you think in the sense that I just think he's so famous in his own right. No one thinks he's sort of a representative Republican. And at the end of the day, once you go through a convention and nominate a standard bearer and there's all the excitement and he's in three debates, I kind of think Trump at that point, whatever he says in July of 2015, uh, will look pretty thoroughly faded. But look, if you're concerned and you are, you've expressed this many times and I am too, uh, about the GOP brand, as they say. What does more damage, Donald Trump or the actual GOP congressional leadership? These are the actual elected uh, members of Congress who are organized, who are supposed to be thoughtfully considering the legislation they're putting forward, putting forward an amendment uh, suddenly, I guess, on the floor this week to allow uh, national parks to sell Confederate flags or Confederate memorabilia because President Obama ordered those things be withdrawn from the stores. Now, I've been... I'm a critic of the Confederate flag. I've been a defender of the Confederate flag against the mob attacks to remove it from everywhere. It's one thing to get it taken down from the Capitol. It's another thing not to sell it in a, in a, you know, on, a, on, a, on something in a, in a store. Uh, so I'm sort of sympathetic in substance, I suppose, to what the Republicans are trying to do to stop this kind of mob psychology. On the other hand, they seem to have snapped this onto the, a bill on the floor without any preparation, without telling the Democratic co-sponsors, without telling other Republicans. And they had to pull it in panic. I think this was just last night, wasn't it? That's right. Uh, because they didn't have the votes to pass it. So these are the guys who are paid to know how to run Congress and how to lay the groundwork. And they could have had a week of saying, look, President Obama's overrated, overreacted. We need to add this to this bill. I'm not sure it's worthy of really adding to a major congressional appropriations bill in any case, a legislative appropriations bill in any case. But, I mean, if these guys these guys can't, can't run a two-car funeral, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's a little bit much for them to be all up in arms about how much Donald Trump is right. damaging the Republican brand. I'm trying to see the silver lining in what you just said, but all I, all I hear is the GOP is so awful they make Donald Trump look good, and that's very depressing given how awful Donald Trump looks on every level on both issues and personality, etc. It's just been it's been a tough couple of weeks. I feel I you know I talk to people, Bill. I'm interested in how emotionally down conservatives are. They just they're they're either cranky or depressed or both. Yeah, no, I've been struck by that, too. I do think a lot of it had to do with the court decisions at the end of term, where it turned out the Supreme Court, despite all these Republican appointees, uh, um, isn't willing to uh, enforce the rule of law on Obamacare. It isn't willing to uh, make a common sense interpretation of the Constitution that it does not have this magical right suddenly discovered to same-sex marriage, whatever your views on the merits of that issue. So I think that got people down. And then the Republican race, it was exciting. For a while, there was that kind of conventional view, which I think incidentally is more true now than people sort of have now, now think, that they're a good bunch of candidates. It's going to be exciting. We've got the young people. We've got the governors. We've got the senators. Hillary Clinton's not a very good candidate. Well, like any like in anything, if the governors and senators have been out there two, three months, you get a little tired of them. They make one or two stumbles. People are probably now too pessimistic, I'd say, about the Republican field. And I think they'll perk back up again. And, and I think there really is a good conservative agenda going forward and some good candidates. But obviously, that has to be, the case has to be made. And it doesn't just happen 
it doesn't just happen automatically. Uh, that's that's for sure. Uh, it looks like the uh, deal with that the uh, negotiations with Iran are going to continue. And is there any such thing as a deadline in this process, Bill, or is the yeah, plan I mean, it, just we're going to keep negotiating even as the scientists are standing behind the negotiators, putting the finishing touches on the a bomb while we yes. watch them? Sort of like a Saturday Night Live skit, almost, right? You know, no, I think that's quite possible. And so, just going back to the previous point, one other thing I wanted to mention. I mean, Bernie Sanders is getting a higher percentage of the vote in the Democratic primary than Bernie than than Donald Trump is in the Republican. Uh, he is an out and out socialist. He's pretty far down the spectrum in terms of American political thought. Again, the conventional wisdom is, well, he's not really ultimately going to be that much of a challenge to Hillary Clinton. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure he can't win Iowa or New Hampshire. I'm not so sure he can't really make it a real race or or open it up for someone else to get in to make it a real race. And the Democratic Party could end up way, I mean, Bill Clinton won us a new Democrat, a moderate Democrat, Barack Obama, people forget that, did a pretty good job of presenting himself as not too radical a Democrat in 2008. So we haven't, and then he was reelected as an incumbent in 2012, which is before he did, except for Obamacare, most of his really left-wing things in foreign policy or on some of the social issues. So, um, or, you know, on immigration, for example, right. he hadn't done anything right much in his first two years or in, even in the second part of his uh, first term. So we haven't really tested the proposition of where the American public will be on a left-wing Democrat running. And Bernie Sanders could turn Hillary Clinton into that and incidentally, you know, we can worry about the Republican debate, and I agree that the Fox News rules are stupid. They should not have one 10-person debate. They should let them all, seven or eight of them, be on stage in two back-to-back -back debates. Or maybe have four back-to-back, four-person sure. roundtables that would actually be interesting, you know, but let the candidates really talk some. But what about the Democrats? Don't they have to have a debate at some point? They've Hillary Clinton has sort of nominally accepted, apparently, the idea of debates. The Democratic National Committee, Mike Warren, wrote something about this today on our website, uh, has sort of said they're going to be maybe six debates, but none is scheduled. I wonder why that is. That is because Hillary Clinton is a little scared about being up sure. on stage against Bernie Sanders and having Bernie Sanders turn to her and say, incidentally, why did you vote for the Iraq war? I voted against it. Why did you, why did you support banking deregulation? I was against it. Why did you and your husband support the Defense of Marriage Act? I was against it. I mean, he can do a pretty good left-wing attack on Hillary Clinton, and that would be an interesting moment uh, in the Democratic primary. And, which, and since we're backtracking from Iran, just one more mm -hmm. backtrack, imagine what the stories would look like if Donald Trump were not dominating the Republican field, if the Republicans in Congress weren't stumbling over themselves on the Confederate flag, and instead the lead stories were how extreme the left and Obama and the Democrats have been on immigration after that horrible murder in San Francisco, how extreme they are by shutting down, you can't buy a Confederate flag when you go to a Civil War, you know, museum, what? And how extreme they are on, uh, you know, the, the, the these issues that, that as the gloating from the same-sex marriage, you know, extreme advocates as they, you know, are attacking these little mom-and-pop businesses. If the Republicans got out of the way and let the average American see what the Democratic team is up to, I think they would be horrified, and it's and it, it's only going to get worse as the uh, gravity continues to push left on their side of the aisle. But we're in the way. We're in the way, and we're also not helping make the case, because one reason people, one way people will focus on this, and the media sort of has to, is if senators and congressmen introduce bills to revoke the sanctuary uh, city status. Well, they have done that a little bit, but then they're told, well, there's this higher education bill on the floor of the Senate, and uh, Tom Cotton has an amendment to it, but, you know, we don't want to mess up the process. We think we're going to get this bill passed, and we're not going to force a vote for it on it. Well, then the media has a good excuse not really to cover it. Um, why haven't more Republicans spoken up on that issue? Why haven't they spoken up on 
what about religious liberty? I mean, Jonathan Last has a lead editorial on this issue on that. It's re- Mark Hemingway has a long piece on what's happened in Oregon. I mean, could any of the Republican candidates, I mean, a couple of them have spoken up, actually Ted Cruz and one or two others, but most of them are, st- you know, are giving their earnest speeches on tax reform or something and not mentioning what is a real threat, I think, to, to, to liberty, to political liberty and religious liberty in America. So I agree the Republicans should get out of the way in the sense of stop doing stupid things. They could also call attention to some of these things in a constructive way. Okay, so speaking of stupid things, can we put the Iran deal yeah, in that yes. group? Yes, we can. I think there probably will be a deal in two or three days. But, of course, I thought there would be a week ago, and most of us did. It will be a very bad deal. I would have said a month ago that the chances of beating it in Congress were, you know, 1 in 10, 1 in 15, 1 in 20. I now think it's 1 in 3 or 1 in 4. The degree to which people now see how bad the deal is means I think some Democrats are going to have a real problem with it, especially the $140 billion that Iran gets. I mean, a regime that sponsors terror, that's got American blood on its hands, that's committed to uh, getting rid of the state of Israel, just giving them all this money, some of which will obviously go to all these nefarious pursuits in return for what's in any case a bad nuclear deal. I really think people are going to have a tough time defending that. Uh, This is more in play, I think, in Congress for the next two months uh, with the the outcome a little more in doubt than I would have thought, you know, a month or two ago. You haven't seen – it's interesting because uh, I've I've sensed a little more – if not stiffening of the spine, kind of sagging of hopes uh, from uh, John Kerry. And, uh, you know, they're getting the sense that there are some issues like inspecting military sites where the Iranians aren't going to give. Uh, you, you still think that the White House will find some way to push through that and present a deal that has, that, that can pass, uh, pass muster? Well, I think the problem they're having is the Iranians are making it very difficult for them to uh, come to a deal that would, would pass muster. And some of the Iranian demands are so... Uh, uh, you know, out of the question, so uh, in, ridiculous that either the White House won't give in to them just on the merits, or the White House knows that if it gives in to them, it really will have trouble in Congress. So maybe there won't be a deal. Maybe there'll be some kind of extension. I think you'd probably still have to bet on one. Um, but as I think, as I say, I think there really is. So this has been a good educational process on this issue. I think the critics, and I'd include the Weekly Standard in that in that bunch. I've done a pretty good job of just saying, here's what the provisions are, here's what they do and don't accomplish, let's be serious about this. Uh, And this, I think, could be a pretty big national debate. Obviously, it'll be focused on Iran and on the nuclear deal, but it gets into a broader debate about America's role in the world. It's a debate I really hope Republican presidential candidates and congressional leaders uh, take seriously, uh, really devote attention to, you know, study up so they don't just have, you know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds worth of stuff to say on it. This could be a moment we were talking before about, you know, the Republicans missing chances and and the Republican brand being hurt. This could be a moment where people say, hey, you know what, for all the kind of kookiness, the congressional stumbles, Donald Trump, uh, you know, being a blowhard and whatever, um, the others not responding well to Trump, for all of that on this fundamental issue of national security, Here's a political party that seems to have its heads screwed on right. That, that would be a good thing if that happened. Well, I actually see a winning way out, which is that the Walker-Rubio ticket announces that their negotiator with the Iranians will be, in fact, Donald Trump. And we're going to give him a fully armed B-1 bomber to fly to Tehran with. to cut the, I, When they see that crazy-eyed guy, show, they'll agree to any deal, Bill. That's so you're learning. Solution. You're learning. You're learning, Michael, from Donald Trump. You Absolutely. know, you mock him, but then now you see. Now you end up when you actually have to look for something to do. You sound just like Trump. So that's a, a tribute to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Bill, on an amazingly uh, busy and, and, and news-packed week. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.